0: Here are several reasons why you should choose Tally and Twine Watch Company. Number one, we offer a two year product warranty, so don't worry about fading or malfunctions. Number two, there's no risk to you. We offer both free shipping and free returns. Number three, the number seven represents completion and reminds you to finish what you start. Number four, why buy a look alike watch when you can wear a true conversation piece? Number five, your satisfaction is guaranteed and we have hundreds of reviews to prove it. Number six, you can choose from our metal, leather, or canvas timepieces and we have styles for every occasion. Number seven, we offer the best features at the best value, hands down. Tally Antoine Watch Company, it's time to make your mark.
1: off with the name Savage Truth, Savage Truth, it's the Savage Truth, the
0: Savage Truth, the Savage Truth, I gotta be real, I gotta be Amen, 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 amen. Good morning, Virtual Victory, World Victory, those that are in the building with us this morning. I thank God for another opportunity to be here. I thank God for the survival of another week. God, just as we, uh, we've seen the loss this week of uh, Brother Chadwick Bozeman, even Cliff Robertson, we saw the atrocity of, of Brother Jacob Blake being shot. But it, in one instance, we can actually say that we don't have to regret the loss of his life because he's still here and can still be a father to his three children. God, I'm humbled to be your servant and even to be able to stand here. So before we dive into this word today, let us pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the very breath that allows me to speak. God, as we understand the threat, God, that's, per- that's permanently against our lives, God, whether it's in body, God, whether it's through infectious disease, God, whether it's through our, our own health issues, God, whatever it is, God, the frailty of our humanity, God, we thank you that your grace and your mercy sustains us day in and day out and that every day you give us a new sunrise. So God, I thank you, Father, and pray that on today, God, your will will be done. God, I pray that you've already gone before with worship. God, I pray that you have already gone before and touched the hearts of those that need to receive on today, God, that you've broken up the hardened ground, God, that you've fertilized the ground that's already had seeds planted, Father, and that on today we can provide greater growth, Father, that you can give those who... give give those direction who feel lost God that you can give those light who feel dark God that you can give those hope God who feel hopeless and allow the fruits of your spirit God to manifest in our lives so God I thank you God I thank you for world victory God I thank you for our church God here physically and those virtually God that we would connect right now God connect through the spirit God connect through these screens God connect through these phones God connect even if it's just through audio Father and allow your kingdom to come together right now In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to start today from the book of Romans, chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 1 through 17. And it reads, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also were, you are called the called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making requests if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you That I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I want to say it again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I love how meticulous God is at creating stories, right? God is a great writer, and the way he sets up his story is literary genius, right? To use Saul, the persecutor of Christians, to be the one to defend and extend the spreading of the gospel to the Gentiles, right? This conversion of the antagonist to become the hero is not Hollywood, Right. We see this in movies. We see this in films. We read about it in books. But we have to understand that. But that was God's amazing, creative script to take the man who was in charge of persecuting Christians and make him the one that could actually spread the gospel effectively to those who did not know Judaism and for those who did not know Christ to the Gentiles. But I wonder, have we ever stepped back and just looked at our own story? Right in the different chapters of your life, have you looked at the characters and the antagonists and the heroes and the villains and wonder, God, what are you doing in this story? Because we know at the end of the day that He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we're participating in this narrative in which God is bringing things together outside of our control, outside of our view, outside of our, even outside of the reaches of our own faith because we don't understand His favor. But do we just stop sometimes? and look at our story. I've worked in the healthcare industry for the past 10 years, right? My autoimmune diseases had me taking hydroxychloroquine for several years. In 2019, I traveled to Thailand, Singapore, China, and Japan and I've been on a global coronavirus task force since March. So it would seem if you step back and look at the story that God was preparing me for a time such as this. Right. He gave me an experience. He gave me exposure and knowledge necessary to be able to navigate faithfully in the midst of a pandemic and be a light to the world. Because I have people who know that I'm Christian and they understand my faith. But then I work in an industry that has to directly confront the pandemic. But then I know people who understand my faith tradition, who want to respond and say, "Okay, I know your guys work in hospitals. How serious is this? What do we need to do? And when you step back and look at the story and say, "Okay, God, what are you doing here? And then, you you know, in what other year would the body of Christ be ready to hear a message about spiritual health in the context of infectious disease with an illustration that includes personal protective equipment to be delivered virtually to people across the country and the world? We all know what these are now. right? We all know about filters and, and masks, and is it the K-95 mask? Is it, is it three-ply? Do I you know what? Like we've all become experts in protective equipment trying to protect us from something external, right? And that's not even including, again, when you step back in that story, that's not even including how I got back to Greensboro. So when you look at what God is doing and how God is managing this situation, I just step back sometimes and I want you to tag somebody or tap somebody in the living room right now and tell them if you only knew my story. (laughs) Dealing with this pandemic has provided a lot of illustrations for Sunday sermons over the past five months. Right. Joseph Prince preached the five truths to outlast the coronavirus outbreak. Stephen Furtick preached, God, how do I handle this in regards to the coronavirus? John Piper preached the coronavirus and Christ. Dr. Charles Stanley preached faith over feelings. And even Tony Evans preached, don't let fear control you. Right, This has been driving us all to think about all the ways we can relate what we see in the world, and we see CDC regulations, and we see all of these suggestions. We see the politics. We see the personal feelings. We see all of the anxiety. But then it leads us to think about simple things like how the things we touch can find their way into the deepest recesses of our body. Right, I think as soon as this came out, we all became acutely aware of how much we didn't realize we touched our own face especially those of us who wear glasses, constantly touching our face, touching our mouth. We're like, man, we're nasty. Like, I don't never wash my hands. I'm always putting my fingers near an orifice of my body. But you were unaware of it, right, until that became and now when you realize the impact of the things that we interact with. Now people have a deeper spiritual meaning behind it, right? There's a, now you're trying to tap into what God has been saying, (laughs) Be careful of what you're close to. Be careful of what you're around. Be careful of the company that you keep. Be careful of what you allow into your body, right? And now what comes out of our mouth, how what comes out of our mouth can have deadly and dire consequences to those around us, right? They keep telling us the mask isn't really for your protection. The mask is to protect other people if you're the one that's sick. But we all know we're supposed to watch our mouth. Whether or not we do it is another situation. Right. And then how many of you know, how many of our poor hygiene habits that we had that allowed us. I remember I watched this video and they were in a restaurant and they put a black light camera on and then they just showed all of the places that everybody touched and how it was just a transference of like germs and dirt everywhere. Right. But like how many of us have had poor hygiene habits and we we'll just transfer the dirt and debris constantly of one situation to the next because we're not being sanitized, we're not being repentant, we're not being cleaned and moving forward. So right now you can see the trail and the track and what, the, and what that leads in, in front of us and how that impacts our lives. But amongst everything that we've been talking about during the midst of the coronavirus, the discussion around the compliance of wearing a mask has been the most telling of all to me. Right, because this mask represents a visible illustration of obedience. That's what this is. Right, like you walk up to a store and it says mandate, mask. You look at the sign and you decide, am I going to be obedient? So in something so simple, so easy of an illustration, can we read something with our eyes, observe it, internalize it, and obey? (laughs) right now we now we got a topic we could talk about in church because I can tell you that I wash my hands but if you didn't observe me wash them you just have to take me at my word so I can say I'm being compliant with with hygiene right like we all worry about that when you go into a restaurant you go to the bathroom and it says please all employees wash hands and you would hope That the people who work there, especially those who are touching your food, are being obedient to the sign that is mandating the hygienic nature of them working in that establishment. But we're seeing now that when it comes to being out in a public space, right, that a mask or a face covering has become a mark of either obedience or open defiance. Right? Defiance being defined as bold disobedience. Right. So back in March, I was asked to write an article for the Urban Youth Workers Institute. And I said this. The COVID-19 pandemic is illustrating a granular level of discord in our communities that highlights American division. If a global health threat poses the greatest risk to the least of those among us, who are we as the church if we can't unify to protect them? If we can't unify across political chasms, racial divides, and socioeconomic statuses, then who are we as a nation? Right? The policy is pretty clear. But people's reaction to the mandate is being met with a variety of responses showing really what resides in their heart. Right? I can't capture all of them, but I'm going to hit on five that I think we see most often looking at the media, looking at the news, and even some of our own interactions we're out in public. So the first is that people see the policy, people see the mandate, and they comply, right? So the first one is compliance or obedience. The second one is defiance, bold disobedience. I'm not wearing it. I'm not giving you a reason why I'm not wearing it. I feel like I have the right to do what I wanna do. You cannot impose your will upon me. I am not wearing the mask. The third way that we're dealing with it is exception. Some people have exceptions. I have a medical issue. My child is under the age of two. They actually read the mandate and looked for the exceptions. So at least they understand the mandate, right? They read the law. They understand the law. But they looked at the law for the exception based on what they do not want to do. The fourth reaction is anxiety. And this happens in both ways. Some people are so anxious about even the thought of having to wear a mask, they don't even pay attention to when they should wear it. Right. Because the anxiety is I'm going to get infected by all the air that I breathe. Right. Like I am terrified. So I constantly have my mask on. Right. It's driving up my blood pressure. I'm hyperventilating. It's difficult for me to breathe. Even people who just have an issue with having things close to their face. Right. Having something over their mouth, it creates that sense of anxiety. And that's why you'll see people driving in their car with the windows rolled up with their mask on because they're outside of their house. And this is not not the mandate. There's no mandate that says if you're in your car or if you leave your home, you need to wear a mask. But the reaction to it, right, is based on the anxiety of, you know what, I don't know where the germ is. I don't know where the bug can come from. I don't know how I can be infected. So I am just going to be overly precautious, right? And I'm going to wear this thing constantly, all time, every day. Sounds a little legalistic, doesn't it? Then the other option is just avoidance. So I don't want to deal with the mandate. I'm going to have everything delivered by DoorDash. Amazon can drop stuff off at my house. I'm a gerbifo. I'm not going outside. It doesn't matter. So I avoid having to confront the mandate or the law by just not participating in public, by not participating in public conversation or public discourse or shopping in the marketplace. I'm just out. Right? So people then withdraw. But when I look at these responses, I don't just see a typical response or an argument for not wearing a mask or protective equipment. I see the most typical responses I see for not walking in the manner that God called us to walk in. Right, our excuses for not being obedient to God's word, the reason why we don't share the gospel as we're charged in the Great Commission to be followed by baptizing those who believe and teaching them as Jesus commanded. Right, when it comes to the word of God, we face the same responses. People are either obedient defiant. They find exceptions to the law. They follow what they want to follow. They pick the parts of the Bible that they want to pick, right? Everybody will read the Old Testament to talk about law and order, but won't read nothing in the New Testament that talks about loving your neighbor and doing for the least of these amongst us. We take exception. We try to find loopholes in God's word and in God's mandates. Or people face the anxiety of it, always wondering, am I doing good enough is God going to love me, right? Am I, I'm trying to check off every box. Did I pray enough today? Did I read enough today? Did I give enough today? Did I do enough today to earn God's grace, to earn God's love, to show my faith? When we know, based on the mandate, that's not a requirement. His grace is enough. But then it's avoidance, right? You have people that just avoid public conversations about faith. You have people who avoid sharing their testimony. You have people who avoid topics around religion in general, which is also not in compliance. We are called to give an answer for the hope that we have through Christ Jesus. So when someone asks you why you're having a good day, you should say Jesus. When somebody asks you how you're enduring a pandemic, you should say Jesus. When somebody asks you how you're raising your children, you should say Jesus. When somebody asks you how your marriage has sustained, how your business has sustained, how you've been promoted, how you've been successful, how you graduated, how you recovered, how you, how you overcame, how you got delivered, your answer should be Jesus. But we avoid it. We are called to spread our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ like an infectious disease that kills the flesh and brings about a newness of life. When it comes to God mandating us to share our faith and spread the gospel, I have one question for you. That'll be followed by three other questions. <laughs> but the, as, as the title said on the, on the, uh, the marquee and, and with the sermon coming, the one question I have for you is, is your faith infectious. Is your faith infectious? Do the people around you catch what you have? The one thing that was interesting for me when the coronavirus first hit, and people were like, oh, this is like a flu, and, and I have colleagues who are in Singapore and in China, so in Italy, so I know it wasn't like the flu because I was talking to people who were dealing with it directly. But the one thing that I found interesting was that With the flu, you normally have an individual in a household that can get the flu. Perfect example: my son had the flu before last fall. My son had the flu. He kept having a fever. It kept recurring. Um, We had went on. We had went on. uh, uh, We had traveled as a family because my um, because my 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 wife had lost an older uncle that had passed. We went to a funeral. So. We were all, my entire family of five, in a hotel. I slept with my son on my chest as his fever broke, and he sweat through the night. And then when we got back, we, he still wasn't recovering, he got, and we got tested and found out he had the flu. No one else in my family caught the flu. We were in a car for a seven-hour drive from Delaware down to Virginia, right? We all stayed in in a hotel room in a small confined space. He slept in the bed with me and my wife. So, like, the proximity of how close he was and the fact that none of us got infected, given the fact that I have a compromised immune system, it was like, okay, this seems weird that he had the flu and none of us got sick. So when coronavirus started perpetuating, you started noticing that everyone in the house got sick, Right? So you had the spread that happened. I think it was out of Brooklyn. Like the husband caught it on the train and he came home and he gave it to his wife and gave it to his kids. And then it wound up infesting, infecting an entire neighborhood in a, in a suburb of Brooklyn. And so when I looked at that, I said like, this can't be the flu because I know a lot of people who call out sick because they have the flu. But everybody who's calling me Is saying they caught coronavirus from their kids or from their wives or their wives caught it from their other friends. And I'm like, this seems to be considerably more infectious. Right. Not that it's more deadly, but it seems more infectious because if someone in the house gets it, it seems like there's no possibility that everyone in that house isn't going to get it. So the way that the the virus spread based on proximity really makes me think about this, because if the people around you that are in your immediate circle, and if even not so, the people in your home are not infected by your faith, we may have a problem, right? So my first question is, is your mask preventing the spread? And I'm not talking about a cloth mask. I'm not talking about a KN95 mask. I'm talking about mask when it's defined as something worn to conceal one's identity. Right? Like me and my friends sat around talking and we're like, look, we black. We can't just be walking around. I got to get, I got to get, I got to get ready. I got to get real mask. Right? I got to get somebody, I need a medical mask. I can't wrap no bandana around my face. I'm not doing that because people been using that to conceal their identity. I need to look like I'm complying and not concealing. So I, I got official masks, you see what I'm saying? Right, so the, the, the mask, right, being defined as something worn to conceal one's identity, right? Like when you go and you look at what Paul said in chapter one and verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I am not ashamed, he identified as a follower of Christ. That is how he identified. it to the Romans, to the Greeks, to the barbarians, he said, I'm Christian. You may not like it. It may not settle with you. It may, you may not understand it with your philosophy. I'm willing to have a conversation. But I'm a Christian. So my question is, does your public face, the covering that you use to veil your image and adorn your face, prevent people from seeing Christ in your life? In verse 8, Paul said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world. So, whatever the church in Rome was doing, the way that they were living publicly, the way that they were not concealing their new identity, not concealing the newness that they found in Christ, was causing their reputation to spread around the world. Is your speech limited? Are we restricting our voices? Do we guard against speaking about God in public when we're in social engagements, when we're at work and even in our extended families? In the first verse of Romans, Paul introduces himself by saying, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. That is how he introduced, that is his dear Mr. Paul Introduction, right? That is, that is the prefix to his name. He said, I am a bond servant, an apostle, separated for the gospel of God. Right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16 says, you are a light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Is your mask <laughs> preventing the spread? One of the first things that, that kind of hit me when, I, when, uh, when the coronavirus hit, especially in our community, because I lived in a relatively conservative area, um, and especially the older, uh, the older white people in our area weren't taking it serious. They weren't wearing masks. They weren't going out shopping. So I anticipated, and God put it on my heart, like, okay, you have a nonprofit. I need you to order cases of toilet paper. Order cases of toilet paper. I ordered them before everything. The surge hit, and they were sitting in my garage. And then we found out that the local senior center ran out of toilet paper because they, didn't have, they, they, they weren't providing any. And they were delivering. They, the people could no longer come pick up Meals on Wheels. They had to deliver them. So we were able to take cases of toilet paper over to the senior center, right, to be a representation of how we're supposed to be serving the least of those amongst us. And they were able to take that tissue and then donate it to people as they were dropping off their food. And then the other thing I did is I just made my own, like, toilet paper packages, and I put them in my trunk. So anytime I was out, or I would just go out and ride around in my car and wait for people to come out of the stores empty handed so when these people came out of stores empty-handed, they would just—and and sometimes you could hear the conversations, the arguing between the husband and the wife. I told you we should have got toilet paper. Now it ain't no toilet paper. What are we supposed to do? And, like, they buying paper towels. And I would just roll down my window and say, excuse me, where are you looking for toilet paper? They were like, yes, and I'm like, well, w- would you mind, can I bless you with some? This is a weird time that we live in where your benevolence is giving toilet paper to people in the parking lot. But the reality was is like I got prepared, and instead of hoarding it, right, I utilized it to go out and reach. And people were so shocked for several reasons. I live in a town where they still fly a lot of Confederate flags, right, and it's, and it's kind of it's prevalent in the older community. So for them to have this black man just roll up on them in the parking lot, and in one instance, I'm pretty sure the wife grabbed the gun out the glove compartment when I pulled up on her husband. Then they were shocked when I offered them something that they couldn't have. And on the back of my car, there's a sticker that says, love your neighbor. And they're like, can I give you anything? Can I do anything for you? No, this is what God told me to do. I'm just being obedient. God bless you. Have a nice day. Went on about my business. I don't want no conversation. I don't need to talk to you. That's your moment. You stick with it. I'm going on to find somebody else. Is our mass preventing the spread? Number two, are you socially distant? (laughs) In verse 13 of chapter 1, Paul said, Now I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the Gentiles. So like Paul, like us now, right, we had a lot of plans. There were a lot of things we wanted to do, right? I was supposed to go on a missions trip to Kenya in May. My family was supposed to go to Mexico on vacation, right? I should have been traveling every other week all over the world and all over the country like I normally do. But those plans were put on hold. But how many of us are saying, you know what, soon as this is over, I'm going to get back to talk to you. Soon as this is done, I'm going to come spend some time with you. You know, I'll, I'll come by and pray with you and we can get together and fellowship and have a meal. I'm sorry. That, it's not illegal now, right like you you can you can go visit somebody now. you can you can stay physically distant. And that's why, right? The the power of words is interesting because the demand is actually to be physically distant, right? Even here in the church, we're all physically distant. We can be socially engaged—bishops right here, Pastor Sean right here, elders right there. I can talk to y'all, you know, G back here on the drums. Like we can have a conversation and socially engage, but we've taken physical distance and created antisocial behavior. So are you available, and how are you using your additional time? Everything that distracted us, everything we were engaged in has been canceled. Everything we spent our time being busy doing, everything we spent our time using as an excuse of ways we had to live our lives, things we had to do for our children, right, all of their extracurricular activities and their sports and the ballet and cheerleading and tumbling and everything else that they do, now you've got so much more time, but how are you using it? A friend of mine named Michael Simpson wrote a book called Permission Evangelism, and he said this. He said, effective evangelism requires compassion, consideration, and the great counselor, which is the spirit of God. It requires proximity, but it also requires intention. We're we're used to being effective in ministering and socializing when we see each other on Sunday, that when you remove that collective corporate gathering, now you lose the socialization a lot of times in the concept of the church. Right? How, how have we recommitted our families in this new structure to God? Do we spend more? Th- now that your children are home, they're not getting on the bus and going to school. What does your morning routine look like? Are you praying with your children? Are you reading scriptures when they have breaks? Like, what are we doing now in this new structure where we can devote more of ourselves to God, when we can devote more of ourselves to showing love to people, checking in on our elderly, taking care of the widows and the orphans, which I thank God for world victory, doing for the community that's around here with the food distribution program, right? Are you physically distant as an excuse to be spiritually distant and absent? Because if the church doesn't come to your doorstep, are you drifting away from the Lord? If, I mean, if it was bad before, if people had church hurt and my pastor, don't talk to me and don't nobody pray for me, if that was bad before coronavirus, when you could physically come in the building for a Wednesday Bible study or an intercessory prayer meeting, or you could come for, for children's church or men's meeting or a Sunday morning worship, if you had people feeling disaffected and disconnected from the church when it was available, how are they feeling now? But at the end of the day, just like work, Right, You used to see your boss in the office, but now that you don't see your boss, you've got to reach out. You've got to schedule a meeting. You need to make a call. You need to engage and be connected and communicate, and that's what we're not doing as the church. We've all adopted. We've all, we've all adapted. Our children have adapted to virtual learning. We've adapted to remote work for those that have had to do it. We've adapted to doing more digital delivery, getting more of our stuff online, but how have we adapted our lives to being more effective disciples. Henry Nguyen said hospitality means primarily the creation of free space with a stranger can answer in becoming a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines. Thomas Hale said no one can say Since I'm not called to be a missionary, I do not have to evangelize. My friends and neighbors, there is no difference. In spiritual terms, between a missionary witnessing in his hometown and the the missionary witnessing in Kathmandu, Nepal, we are called to go even if it is only to the next room or the next block. And my third question is, have you watered down and sanitized the gospel? In verse 14, Paul said, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So are we talking about karma? Or other universal terms? Do we avoid mentioning God? Do we mention God, but we avoid mentioning Jesus? Do we talk about all the books we read except for the one that's supposed to be foundational to our faith, which is the Bible ourselves? We'll give you quotes from Deepak Chopra. We'll talk about every Martin Luther King and everybody else that we can think of to come to mind, but quoting scriptures makes people uncomfortable. So we step back from it. Are we watering down and sanitizing the gospel, right? Do you appeal to the good? In people, instead of to the sin in people who need a savior, right? Do we stay away from conversations about morals or absolute truth, or even the term sin in general? Because when left in its natural form, when people come into contact with your unsanitized, right, uncle- you know, un- unwatered down faith, it's infectious. People want consistency. Right. So people want to see the problems that you had in your life, which requires you to take your mask off and act like something's wrong with you. Right. That you've overcome some stuff and you're still dealing with some stuff because this holy high mindedness is just sanitized reality. Like you have not come. You're still enduring the process of your salvation and your sanctification and your regeneration like everyone else. So you need to present people with a solution to a problem. But if we don't ever talk about our problems because we got our mask on, (laughs) right? If we don't ever get close enough to people to understand their problems because we remain socially distant, then how are we effectively using the gospel? In verse 8, Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all that your faith is spoken throughout the world. In verse 17, (laughs) again, he said, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Is your faith infectious? Is my faith infectious? If you lead people, is, it, is, is your faith influencing the way they behave? Is your faith dictating the way you leave your, lead your family? Is your faith dictating the way you use your finances and how you're a representation of the kingdom in public? When you step outside of your home, when you step outside of Sunday services, whether it's virtually or physically, Do people see Christ in your life? Do people see the grace that abounds in the way that you live? Do people see the symptoms of your faith? Right, like we're all used to reading lists now. We're, we're, we're looking, for, and it, the list keeps growing, right? My, do I have bumps on my feet? Do, is my eye red? Can I not taste something? Do I have a fever? Am I sneezing? Am I coughing? Like every symptom now points to you might have coronavirus. You might be infected. But I want to give you the list of symptoms that's very clear from God's word that will show you whether or not you are exhibiting faith through your symptoms. And those symptoms are love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and above all, because God knew, especially being black in America, we need an extra measure, (laughs) self-control. Right after we talk, and it's funny because we quote the fruits of the Spirit, right after that in Galatians 5, 25 and 26, it says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. So, that, so that you, when, you, when you look at symptoms, <laughs> right, a symptom tells you what disease or condition you have. So if your faith is conceited, you, you don't have that saving grace kind of faith. If your faith is political... You don't don't have that that saving Holy Spirit fruit kind of faith. If your faith is provoking, if your faith is defiant, if your faith is envious, you're not projecting, you are not infected by the right kind of faith. So you might want to go talk to your spiritual physician, right? Because at the end of the day, the only way that our faith should be exhibited is our faith should be shown as loving Loving. Something that's so absent in the ethos of our society, right? There's no compassion. There's so much division. There's so much arrogance. There's so much positioning. There's so much politicking. Everybody wants you to agree with me or disagree with me. If you don't agree with me 100%, then I cancel you. We've got this cancel culture that's even adopted by Christians when we're supposed to be out here trying to save the lost, yet we keep wanting to cancel them and block them so we don't see their behavior, Because it disturbs our reality. We think we're doing something right, but our children are wilding out. We think we're doing something right, but our country is in turmoil. We think we're doing something right, but leaders keep getting exposed for scandals. We think we're doing something right, but the country is falling apart and tearing at the seams. So how can you stand in a pulpit on Sunday talking about God bless America when everything that this country reflects shows that we are cursed by having the wrong type of faith? We're conceited, we provoke one another, we're constantly envious, we social media hating, we're looking at other people's jobs, we're looking at other people's possessions, we're obsessed with scripted realities. We feed what everyone tells us. We're trying to be compliant with this political ideology or that political ideology or this movement or that organization. Well, what we need to be compliant with is the word of God and stand on it strongly and say, nothing you say can sway me. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm not going to follow your trend. I'm not going to follow your new wind of doctrine. I don't just want to have my ears tickled. I want to be convicted. I want to be changed, and I want to infect those around me. Standing strong in your faith has a tremendous impact in your home. It has a tremendous impact in your neighborhood. It has a tremendous impact at your job. I openly decided a while ago to start sharing my faith on LinkedIn. And that was a conflict for me, right? I'm a a vice president. I have this position. I'm respected in all of these spaces. But one day I was like, why am I not sharing this? I put this on Facebook. I put this on Instagram. Why wouldn't I put it on LinkedIn? And since sharing my faith on LinkedIn, I've had executives and people from all over the world just reach out and say thank you for being bold enough to share your faith. You're an example. I pray that I would have the confidence to do the same sharing a post, but it's not hiding my faith. It's not taking my light and putting it under a table because of the title that's on my shirt that day, right? I don't get to show up here and be a pastor on Sunday and do God's Word and just go tomorrow and just be an executive that doesn't care about the salvation of my people, that doesn't care about their families, that doesn't care about their lives, that doesn't care about their children. I don't get to cut this off. This is my calling. This is not my occupation. I stand in this is because this is what He gave me, and if I am being compliant to his word, I'm supposed to stand on this faith without without falling, without wavering. What are we doing? Is your faith infectious? I just want to start with an invitation that if there's anybody who's lacking light in their life, if you're lacking that substance that gives you warmth, that gives you comfort, that provides direction, that when the prompt comes up for someone to pray, for someone to connect with you in a Zoom room, in a a, a Zoom room right now, and even if you just fall to your knees where you are and pray to God yourself personally, if you know, if you know him and you know how, I pray that you do. And I hope that there's someone out there watching today that you're watching because someone else's faith is infectious. That the way they are at work, that the way they are in the community, that they, the way they are in a family group, the way that they are when you interact with them in a grocery store or at the Walmart or in the marketplace, that you're saying there's something about this person that's different. I want to let you know that the answer to that question about what's different is having faith in Jesus Christ. Having faith in Jesus Christ is what allows us to have peace in the middle of a storm. Having faith in Jesus Christ is what allows us to submit our power, to submit our authority, to submit our will to someone greater than us and trust that every good and perfect gift will come from him. So I pray that if you're watching today, that if you're listening today, that if you're watching this next week, if you're watching this a year from now, that this word was created for the Lord to plant something in your heart and then all we have to do to receive the great, beautiful gift that is salvation— is to comply. It's a free gift. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the the cross provided you a free gift. All he's requiring to do is that you believe and follow him. God, your grace is enough. God, your grace, your grace is enough. So please God, Remember your people. Remember your children. Remember your promise. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. God, your grace is enough. I'm covered with your blood. God, your grace is enough for me. God, we thank you for your children. God, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son upon the cross, God, that we can be redeemed and in relationship and reconciled to you. God, I pray that as we go forward on today, God, that we we are convicted, God, that we are broken, God, that we have not allowed your light to shine in the influence that we have. That we've not allowed your light to shine in our home, God. We haven't allowed your light to shine in our communities, God. That we don't allow your light to shine in the marketplace, God. That we should be a living, walking representation of the beauty and the mercy of your gospel, God. So I pray that we're not just going out in word, God, that we're going out indeed, Father, that we're showing love above all, God, that we're showing charity, God, that we're caring for the least of those around us, God. And even as I'm convicted, God, in my own complacency, God, even as we get convicted, God, in our own comfort, God, I pray that you push us into being uncomfortable, God, that you give us opportunities, God, and that you allow us to take advantage of opportunities and situations that are before us where we can share your will and share your word. God, I thank you, Father, for just being who you are, for being a great, great father who continues to provide, who continues to protect, God. You keep your angels encamped around us, God. You direct us in the path that we should go, Father. And I thank you for the sacrifice of your son to make our relationship whole. So, Father, we thank you and I love you, God. I love you, God. I need you, God. I need you. And I just pray that anyone, Father, who falls at the altar, God, anyone who falls, God, at your feet, Father, that if we don't know what words to say, God, that the only thing we need to cry out from the depths of our heart and our spirit is that we need you. Wherever you are right now, just say, I need you, God. I need you, God. When the reality of the strength of that statement starts to dwell up, tears in your eyes, just continue to say that I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you in my marriage, Father. I need you in my parenting, Father. I need you in my leadership, God. I need you in my finances. I need you in my prayer closet. I need you in my life. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. When we can say nothing else, Father, we just cry out that we need you. And you always respond on time. And as I close, Father, I just want to say that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Different. Claim to be some Christians, but can't get it in their head. That mimicking porno movies, bringing sin into their bed, but they marry so you can carry on, pretend that it's holy. Wonder why their marriage crumbles when that lust carries over. His eyes want us, you attract them with the sexiest fashion. At the same time, drawing attention from the minute that passion. Now you drawing temptation, trying to stop your husband from chasing, and you both end up in some places facing risky behavior. It's savage, but not your average, but by my calculation, we sexualize our women, turn them into internet pages. And the beauty of God's gifts becomes a trap for the shameless. Families anguish after daddy's run away with a stranger, and it's hard because I. Eyes are lies to our hearts, in the spirits the weak vessel, so we throw from the start. I can't pretend to know the struggle, but I've seen it in part. That's why I grew up without a father. Man, conviction is hard. God,
1: I can't pretend that I know, but I can see through your
0: eyes that you're losing your soul, devil loosening your hold, and conviction will grow, grow. And ask if those to affiliate it. Which are affiliated With your days are gang gangbanging in your sinful behavior Why that temple housing these secrets like the Vatican with every ornament to cover all these blasphemous Actions and rituals, cause real struggle spiritual Mirror to your soul will show the wounds and it's pirical I mean it comes around cause what you reap You will truly so. we all should be bruised at the knee Cause we need them more, but we got it together Cause we not addicts, but we still liars We still cheat and fornicate, our bodies Have the nerve to point the finger just cause their sin is visible Like God uses eyes to see the heart that's within a man I'm a sinner man and I'm just lost. So if you are looking for direction, I will point you to the cross Because that cross was buried, but a king was resurrected I might be your pastor, but the master is in heaven My God I can't pretend that I know But I can see through your eyes that you lose And your soul, devil, loosening your hold And
1: conviction will grow, grow
0: that the conviction you feel is because the spirit of God lives within you and that God has the power to deliver if we just repent and turn away from our wicked ways at this moment right now for every negative feeling for every void that you want filled praise God right now and surrender everything you have surrender every feeling of addiction every thought of depression every concern of suicide every attack of the enemy Give it to God right now. Because he can free your heart, your mind, and your spirit if you surrender.